It is the Sunday before Easter. Uh, you may not have realized it last week, but we finished that long series we were on, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Uh, I realized it after I preached that sermon. I said, okay, yeah, I think we're done. So we're going to move on to other things. But so today and next Sunday, we're kind of we're kind of thinking about Easter. So today is the warm-up sermon to the Easter sermon. And, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some things that I think are kind of fun and exciting and will prepare us for next Sunday. So the title of the sermon you see in your notes is, What Exactly Is the Good News We Call the Gospel? So sometimes we say the good news of Jesus Christ or the good news of the gospel, or we say we need to share the gospel and people need to hear the gospel. We need to live out the gospel. And, and we may not know what the gospel means. Well, the, the actual literal translation of the word gospel is good news. So when we say the, the good news of the gospel, we're saying the same thing. When we say the good news of the gospel, we're, we're kind of repeating ourselves, but there's a purpose because we're speaking of a specific good news. And that's what I want to focus on today. What is, what is the actual good news that we are to focus on? What's the actual good news that everyone needs to hear? What's the good news that, that Jesus died for? So uh, we're going to kind of focus on that term, and we're going to trace it through Scripture a little bit, and then at the end we'll bring it together. So, so look at your notes. I have two passages written in your notes there, and I wrote them down because I want you to fill in some blanks that, that kind of make it easier to understand. But the first point, number one in your notes, the gospel is the good news of God which existed before time. So it might be hard to fathom, but there was a time before time. Or there was an existence before existence. So we, as, as created beings, began to exist at a moment in time. God said, let there be light. Uh, God said, that made several statements, and creation burst forth. And, and, and that's when time began. We said, let there be light. Now we had a measuring tool. And, and time began. So you can't go back farther than creation and call it time. You have to call it pre-time. But it's, it's eternity. And, and we can't understand eternity. We can't understand eternity past. And we really can't grasp eternity future. But God lives in eternity. So he lives outside of time. So the gospel, or the good news, the very specific message that God has prepared for us existed before time or before creation. That's really important because if it existed before creation, it also existed before sin. It existed before Adam and Eve. And so we can never think that this whole salvation thing is plan B. God did not call an audible and come up with a new way to have a relationship with mankind. He literally created the universe and the earth and the animals and the birds and the fish and, and everything in creation, including mankind, including Adam and Eve, knowing full well that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And he knew that his plan was to allow them to sin because if they didn't have the choice, they weren't really worshiping. You can't be forced to worship. You worship by choice. I worship Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he's done. If I never had that choice, it wouldn't be real. I'd, it'd simply be robotic. 
in order to provide the choice for a true relationship, God had to risk a broken relationship. And he knew that Adam and Eve would sin, so he knew that the relationship would be broken. So before he even created Adam and Eve or the earth they lived on, he put a plan in place to redeem humanity so that we could have a real relationship with him based on the good news of Jesus Christ. So the very first thing I want you to understand is that the gospel is the good news of God, which existed before time. So Ephesians 1, 4, I'll just read this to you without filling in the blanks, and then we'll fill them in. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So now let's fill in the blanks. Who's he? He is God the Father. So he, God the Father, chose us, believers, those who believe are the, are the ones he chose. So, so he, God the Father, chose us believers in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, or what we would call saved, in his sight. So the entirety of the gospel, Jesus would die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved, act as believers chosen by God before the creation of the world. That was all in existence before creation. God's plan was in place. And it, it's very clear, before the creation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, not by works, remember that? Not by because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The purpose being to have a relationship with mankind that is based on a choice. So when we worship him, it's real. And grace giving us that opportunity. This grace, the opportunity to be saved, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So God saw what would happen, and in his grace, not giving us what we deserve, in his grace, he said, I will give you an opportunity to be saved. And that opportunity to be saved has been presented to all mankind so that any living person can say to Jesus, I accept your gift of salvation. I want to be part of the family. Thank you for forgiving me. Now I will serve you as my Lord and Savior. The opportunity itself is, is grace. And, and this was all put into motion before creation. So the, the next part of your notes, A, B, C, and D, I want to start with D. It's the hinge of A, B, and C. So D says, these were all present before God even began the work of creation. They were all present. Okay, so A, B, and C were all present. A, God saw mankind as lost and in need of a Savior. So God correctly saw mankind as lost and in need of his Savior before creation. B, the eternal Savior was present. The Son of God was present. He wasn't created or brought about because of our sin. He was already present and had already volunteered for the task. Jesus Christ was already on board with the entire process before creation. And then C, the details of the work of redemption were planned out. All that to say, this whole forgiveness of sins idea, the whole being able to have a right relationship with God, to be a part of his family, 
to be looking forward to eternity in heaven. This whole good news was present before creation. And that's as far back as you can possibly go in our mind. It's as far back as you can possibly go. The gospel was already present. So number two, the gospel is the good news being offered to mankind right up until the very end. So we talked about the very beginning. Now we're going to talk about the very end. This offer of salvation is available right up to the very end. And again, I want to go to D because it's the hinge. D says all predicted in Scripture just as they would appear in full worldwide view. So A, B, and C, we'll talk about in just a minute. I wanna, when we go over these, I want you to realize that everything A, B, and C was written down, recorded, prophesied in Scripture, in order. Not randomly hoping it works out some way, but it says this, then this, then this, then this. And God has laid it out in a lot of detail so that when it happens, mankind can look to the Bible and say, wow, this is happening just exactly like the Bible says. This happened, this happened, this happened. That means this is next. And when next happens, they can say, wow, God is really in charge. This is the true God because only his word has proven itself to be true. What does this word say about my relationship with him? Oh, I'm a sinner and I'm lost, but I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. So in the very end, when we, when we study Revelation one day, the, the biggest point I'll make over and over again is that it is not God's judgment on mankind. God's judgment on mankind is hell. That's judgment. Revelation, the end times, all, all of those events are evangelism in action. That is God saying to mankind, I'm here, I'm real, I'm powerful, and you can find me in the Bible, and here's how you can be saved. All the stuff that goes on is God saying, look at me, listen to me, believe me, and accept me. So let's go back to A. There's signs and wonders. The rapture will have taken place. All the believers all over the entire earth will disappear in the blink of an eye. They will go to be with with Christ, creation will be in turmoil. We read about earthquakes. We read about the, the moon turning red. We, re, we read about water turning to blood. Uh, all kinds of things, including these great scorpions, which is kind of my little favorite part because I can't fathom what that's going to look like. Now, I won't be here, so I'm still going to see it from a distance, but whether they're metaphorically great scorpions or literally great scorpions, in my mind, really doesn't matter. Because when they come out and do what they do, people are going to go, oh my, this is terrible. This is God getting our attention. So these great scorpions come, and then, and then all kinds of plagues. So there's signs and wonders right up to the end where God's saying, hey, listen to me. And, and, and towards the end of that time, there's spoken warnings. I don't know if you've read this or not, but there's these guys called the two witnesses, and, and they're in Jerusalem, and they preach the gospel. And people try to kill them for preaching the gospel, and they can't kill them. So they keep preaching the gospel. And then at the appointed time, all of a sudden, the people that couldn't kill them, kill them. And they lie in the street, and the world throws a party. 
And it says they exchange gifts because these guys are dead. But they forget to do anything with the body, so they're still laying there. And then God raises them up again to continue preaching. And what is God saying? Pay attention. I have a message you need to listen to. And so the evangelism continues on. The gospel is still being portrayed. And then after that, there's these three angels. And I don't know what this is going to look like, but I hope I have a good seat for it from heaven looking down. And and I want to see this happen. These angels are going to fly over the earth. And they're going to loudly proclaim the gospel. And then they're going to loudly give the warning and say, you don't have much time. And so we have the two witnesses who are going to be on every network, all over TV. They're going to be all over YouTube and all over Facebook. And everyone's going to see and hear them and hear the message. And see them die and exchange gifts. And then see them raise up and still preach. And people are going to hear the angels flying over the earth. I don't know if they're going to make laps or they're going to go slow and it's just going to be a megaphone type thing. I don't know, but it's going to be noticeable. And people are going to see it. They're going to go, wow. This God guy seems to be real. Maybe we should listen. Now, other people will simply go, I don't care. I didn't want this before, and I don't want it now. And they're going to reject. And that's kind of the point. God's saying, you're at, you're at the threshold right now where you better choose. You're either with me or you're against me. If you're with me, get on board right now. If you're not, stay where you're at, because I have plans. So signs and wonders take place. There's spoken warnings. Then we go through a series of plagues that, that look just like the plagues of Egypt. And, and anybody who's studied the Bible or heard Bible stories even as a kid can reflect back and go, man, this sounds familiar. And again, God goes, I proved to them I was God by doing this. I'm doing it again so you'll notice. So you'll notice. And this was all predicted in Scripture. It's all laid out. Not fuzzy language at all. Things that will happen. So the gospel existed before the creation of time. And the gospel will still be the gospel right up to the very end. But there is also a correlated bad news. The bad news is that that many people will say, no God, I don't care. No, God, I don't want you. I'm doing great by myself. Leave me alone. And when they say, leave me alone, God says, okay, when, when you, like, call back again, I'll answer. And so there's, there's bad news. There's bad news in the end, even though these signs and wonders and, and these spoken warnings and these plagues come forth, there will people who will literally go to the bottom of a mountain and say, fall on me because of, of this, these events. In other words, kill me, I'd rather be dead than deal with this God. Not responding to the gospel, the good news, but reflecting their their hard hearts. So the gospel existed before time, and the gospel will continue to exist right up to the end of time. Number three in your notes, the gospel is being spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, even as we speak. This is kind of exciting. This is... One of the main reasons I like to go to Mission Connection, I like to take kids to Mission Connection, because they get to hear what God's doing, and they get to see the people God's doing it through, and it's kind of a first-hand eyewitness report of what God's doing. This year at Mission Connection, we learned that 70% of, of true believers now live in the Southern Hemisphere. 
In other words, not North America, but South America, the Southern Hemisphere. That used to be reversed. used to be that 70% of all believers lived in the Northern Hemisphere or the Western part of the world. Now, 70% live in the Southern part. That's for two reasons. One, there are less believers in the Northern part, but the evangelism is paying dividends in the Southern part, and people are being saved left and right. And, and, and they're being saved in dramatic ways, and they're truly converted. Right now you hear things out of England and things out of the United States where this denomination is compromising in this area and that group is compromising in this area and it's the people from down south that are saying, no, that's not right and we're not going to listen to you anymore. You are no longer our leaders because you are compromising the word of God and you are espousing sin instead of calling it out. A change has taken place. And so we struggle to get the word out and find people who are willing to receive the gospel down there if people are getting saved left and right day after day and the churches are growing and, and booming. Surprisingly, we also found out that the fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. Iran. Iran is always in the news. They are a Muslim state. They are not friendly towards Christians. But the church is exploding there because they are also disillusioned with Islam. And they're seeking truth. And there are people that are sharing the truth, and they are finding it. They're having dreams, and in the dreams, they're, they're praying to God and saying, you know, where do I find the truth? And, and God speaks to them in the dream, and he sometimes says, go talk to so-and-so, you'll find him at such-and-such such a place. And they go to such-and-such such a place, and they find so-and-so, and they say, I had a dream, and you're supposed to tell me about, about God or Jesus. And the person there says, okay. And, and all this is risky. All this could get you in jail and, and even get you killed in Iran. But it's the fastest growing, fastest growing church. This is happening all over the Muslim world. I, I've been listening to some podcasts and some, some firsthand stories of, of gospel explosions in Muslim, Muslim countries in that part of the world. So God is, God is doing his work. When he says all people, all nations, and all languages, he wasn't kidding. Revelation 5.9 says, With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Now that kind of covers everybody. In Revelation 7.9, he says, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God is reaching the world. He will reach the world. The fact that more of the world is being reached than ever tells us that we're getting closer to His return. Now that could mean we have 10 years. It could mean there's a 1,000 years. We're not given that information. We are to act like He's coming tomorrow, but plan like He's coming in a 1,000 years. That's how we're supposed to operate but the gospel is being spread all over the world. So we have the good news that existed before creation that will exist to the very end of our reference for time until Christ returns. And, and right now in the middle, God is working the plan that he started. He's telling as many people as possible about Jesus Christ and salvation so that they can receive the gift, they can believe, and they can live a life pleasing to him. So that's kind of context and background. On the back side of your notes, it says, it was good news when. And I want to just do a little survey. 
I want to mention a few things in Scripture, and I want to point to where we see the good news in action. So number one, and, and, and this we know because we know that the gospel existed before time. So in hindsight, we can look and we can see the good news in action. I don't think Adam and Eve saw this and understood what was happening. I don't think they got the clues that we see in hindsight. We have the entirety of Scripture as, as our foundation and source of truth. They had a short existence to deal with. But number one, it was good news when God gave Adam and Eve a second chance. He didn't give them a second chance at being the perfect creation, but he gave them a second chance by not killing them. By not instantly uh, giving the sentence that they were due. Instead, he killed the lamb, and he used the, the, the skins to cover their shame, and, and blood was shed, and he promised them a future Messiah. I don't think he used the word Messiah. I don't think they understood the word Messiah. I doubt they understood the concept. But he said, there's going to be someone coming that will solve this problem that you have created. So A there, a woman's offspring will crush the head of the snake. That's Genesis 3, chapter 15. That's God speaking, and he says, a woman's offspring will crush the head of the snake. The snake is Satan. One day there will be a human being who will crush Satan, to fix this problem which you have created. B, God kicked them out of the garden rather than kill them. You find out in verse 24, he kicked them out of the garden, put angels to guard the entrance, and said, you can't be here, because if you go back in and eat from the tree of life, then, then this can never be fixed. So he kicked them out. It may sound harsh that he kicked them out of a garden that he built for them, but in reality, it was the most loving thing he could do for all of us, because then Jesus would come one day and be the sacrifice. And they couldn't negate that. See, God gave them clothes to wear, covering their shame through the shedding of blood. We look back and we see the shedding of blood and we go, oh, that sounds really familiar. This is the beginning of the sacrificial system. This is the beginning of blood covering up sin. God covered their shame with skins that were taken off animals and that would have produced blood. So we see a, a vague reference to the gospel here. And, and knowing that it existed before time, we see it here in the beginning of time, and we can look back and say, oh, I see that. It's not super obvious, but it's there if you're looking for it. A little more obvious, number two, it was good news when God saved the human race by allowing Noah and his family to build an ark. When the whole world as a whole, had rejected God and his teachings and gave us a picture of salvation. So the, the world as a unit, the world as an, an entirety, <coughs> excuse me, was rejecting God. They were not following him. They were not listening to him. They were not honoring him. And, and God said, enough is enough. And by all rights, he could have said enough is enough permanently. He could have ended humanity, started over if he wanted to, or just gone another direction. And he could have just said, well, I'll just enjoy creation and I'll forget about the humans. Could have done a lot of things. But he didn't. He chose Noah, and he said, Noah, you seem to be a good guy. I'm going to give you some instructions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to build a boat. I want you to do it over the next hundred years. And over the next hundred years while you're building the boat, I want you to talk about why you're doing this. Tell people 
that they're sinning and they need to repent. And so he built the boat. So God saved humanity through Noah, and in doing so gave us a picture of the gospel. So Anya notes there was a door on the ark. There was one door. One door to get in, one door to get out. And the door was open right up until the rain started. When the rain started, God closed the door. Everyone that was on the inside was saved from the flood. Everyone that was on the outside was killed in the flood. Humans, animals, the works. Inside the boat, you were safe. Outside the boat, you were not. When the door closed, it was time was up. And since it took a hundred years to build the boat, and it said Noah was a preacher of righteousness, God gave a 100-year warning to anyone who saw that they need to get right with God. And, and, and Noah preached the message. I think that's one of the reasons it took him 100 years, because I think he spent a lot of time preaching when he could have been building. So for 100 years, he gave the warning, and he said, repent, get right with God, because the judgment is coming. Well, Jesus says, I am the door. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And just like there was only one door into the ark, there was only one way to salvation. That's A in your notes. There's only one way. That way is Jesus Christ. Our good deeds aren't going to get us there. Religion is not going to get us there. Grandma is not going to get us there. Money is not going to get me there. There is no amount of money that impresses God. There's one way. Death is the closing of the door for us. We have until the minute we pass away, the minute we die, our decision is final. We don't get to go, oh, God, now I get it. God will say, oh, sorry, you're too late. We have until we die to make our decision. And by not making a decision, we are making the wrong decision. If we don't die before the second coming, then that is the end. That is the final moment for everybody. So we have that warning. That's the last of it. Three in your notes. It was good news when God kept his promise to bring forth a Messiah who was worthy to be the future sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe. The promises were made by the prophets, mainly. You can go back to the promise of Genesis. It's the same promise, but it was greatly elaborated on and, and, and talked about a lot by the prophets. And he kept that promise. And I want you to know he didn't have to. He was only bound by his own word. If he didn't keep the promise, no one would know. He was only accountable to himself in this, but he kept his promise. And he did it in a way that, just like we talked about before, they could check the details to see if it was real. So Andrew notes the details. He was born of a virgin. He had to be born of a virgin so he did not have a sin nature. If you have a sin nature, you will sin. You can't help it. We needed a sacrifice that was spotless so Jesus had to be capable of not sinning. So he does not have an earthly mother and father in the way we do. His, his DNA was created by God specifically for him. So he does not have a sin nature. Being born of a virgin, he has not a sin nature. But B, he could sin, and he withstood the direct temptation of Satan. Therefore, we know he lived a sinless life. 
He actually stood in his hometown as an adult and says, is there anyone who can bring an accusation against me? Is there anyone? He, he withstood direct temptation from Satan, and so we have a spotless sacrifice, another requirement. All right? See, he met all the prophetic requirements, being born in the right place, raised in the right place, a lot of things he did, a lot of dates that he did things on, a lot of detailed prophecy. He, he fulfilled all those requirements, proving he was truly of God. It's statistically impossible for him to, to do even eight or nine of the things that were prophesied and get them all right without help. But he did them all, so he proved he was from God. So he had no sin nature, yet he could sin. He did not sin when he was tempted. He was of God. He met all the ceremonial requirements. He was chosen. Do you know the lamb was chosen a long time before it was sacrificed? And he was the chosen lamb, chosen before creation. He was chosen. He was set aside. A requirement for the, the sacrifice, the ceremony. He was spotless. The lamb that was chosen was set aside to protect it so it wouldn't break a leg or get scratched on the fence or something like that because it had to be spotless. It had to be perfect. Jesus was spotless in the fact that he was sinless. And he had to be innocent. The lamb does, did not deserve to be killed. Jesus did not deserve to be killed. And then E, he was killed by the priests on the day of sacrifice in Jerusalem. All the markings of a true sacrifice. So God kept his promise. That's really good news. Number four, it's good news that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, convicted, and crucified. Now I mentioned that he allowed himself to be, to be crucified, that, it, that no one could force him to. The uh, soldiers weren't that strong. The authorities weren't that powerful. They didn't have all that going for them. I'm going to read you John 1, 6. That is not the right text. It's going to be like 21, 6. Uh, trust me. Never trust a pastor that says trust me. But trust me. <laughs> at the end of John, you can find at the end of John, when they come to arrest Jesus, uh, Judas is there, the soldiers are there, Jesus says to them, who are you looking for? And, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And they fall down backwards. Why they never put that part in the movie, I don't know. That would be a super exciting part for me. They fall down backwards. All the soldiers fall down backwards. As if the, the very force of his words created some sonic blast that, that knocked them over. And what was he saying to them when that happened? He was saying to them that, that you're not going to take me because there's so many of you. And you're not going to take me because you're strong. And you're not going to take me because I can't stop you. Uh, you're going to take me because I'm willing to go. Because this is part of my plan. In Matthew 26, Jesus, right after Peter chopped off the soldier's ear, he says to his disciples, you don't need to fight. If, if I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels. That's thousands upon thousands of angels. He said, I could call them down. 
It only took one angel to wipe out like 180,000 soldiers at one point in time in a battle. So what he's saying is, at, at my beck and call, I have an angel army to protect me. These people aren't doing anything that's not according to my plan. All right? In Philippians 2.8, it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. The God of creation, the, the Son of God, who had the power to, to heal and to walk on water and to change water into wine and, and, and to do all the miracles and do all the things and, and to teach all the things he taught, the God who had all that power humbled himself and said, I will go. I will, I will be put through a trial. I will be beaten. I'll have a crown of thorns. I will do all this, this pain and suffering. I will take the accusation. I will be the sacrifice. So he humbled himself. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, convicted, and crucified. And then number five, bringing us closer to where we're at today. It was good news when Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead. Acts 2.24 says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ overcame death so that he could help us overcome death. By raising himself from the dead... He proved he had the power over death and life, and he said, I will raise you from the dead too. We can have faith in that because Jesus proved he had the power for that. So Acts 2, 24, fill in that blank, he proved to all that he had the power over death. And 1 Corinthians 15, to fill in those blanks, because of Jesus, we are also given a resurrection unto life. That's really important, that phrase, unto life. You may or may not know that every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth will be resurrected. We don't talk about the other resurrection because it's a sad resurrection. But every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected so they can stand before God and receive now the judgment for their sin. And, and their sins will be listed off. And God will look at them. And he will say, the penalty of your sin is death. Death takes place in hell. Depart from me. I don't know you. Enter into the gates of hell. And, and they will go to hell for eternity. That's the bad news. If you're going to have good news, there's a corresponding bad news. The bad news is those who do not respond will resurrect and they will stand before God. And God will say, I don't know who you are implied you had an opportunity because you rejected me 
Now you go where you have chosen to go, and you will spend eternity in hell. And there is no second chance. There's no do-over. There's no people here on earth taking care of your problem for you. God has clearly said it's now or it's never. The problem is we don't know when that line is. I could die right now. Just kidding. I could die right now. You could die right now. And we would stand before God. Now, if you are a believer, if you have accepted the gift of salvation, if you have prayed to God and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. He didn't have to, but he did. And I believe that he's offering my sins to be forgiven, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to have a relationship with you, so I accept that gift. And from now on, I will live as a saved person, making you the Lord of my life. If I had that conversation, then when I resurrect, I also stand before God, who is also at a throne and a judgment seat, and he says, step forward, what is your name? My name is Dave Martin. Oh, Dave Martin, your name is written in the book of life. Your sins have been forgiven. Please enter into your reward. And I walk into heaven, where I spend eternity. We will all be resurrected. And every sin we have ever committed will be paid for. Some will pay for their own, and others will be paid for by Jesus Christ. Not the very bottom of your notes. It says, it is good news that every human alive today can still choose to accept Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, resulting in eternal life and a restored relationship with God. If... God has been calling you. If in your heart or in your gut, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, this is what you need to do, my encouragement is to wait no longer. Don't wait till Easter Sunday. Yeah, we've been talking about the gospel being shared on Easter Sunday and and bring your friends to hear the gospel on Easter Sunday and pray for them. But why wait any longer? Why have you waited this long? If God is calling you, and you feel the need, the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you in my family. I want you to be saved. Let go of your sin. Let me be in charge. It hasn't worked out very well on your own. Let me be in charge. He says, I want to forgive you. But for some reason, you've been stubborn. For some reason, you've been, I'm going to take care of this myself. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm not going to do it because so-and-so did it, and I don't want to do what they did just because they did it. Well, forget all that. It's a conversation between you and God, and you and God alone. And if you've been holding out, maybe today is the day, not next week. If it wasn't last week, it should be this week. And you can pray a simple prayer because there are no magic words. I love some of the testimonies I hear. I prayed in my truck before I went to work in the morning. I, I was thinking about it, and, I, and all by myself in my room, I prayed. Others, I was sitting in church, and it finally made sense. And I prayed, and I had a conversation with God. And, and, and everyone prayed a different prayer. But the truth was there. I believe in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead after dying for my sins. And he died for my sins on purpose because he loves me. And wants to have a relationship with me. 
And I know that I can't get to heaven on my own. And I know that my life isn't going to work on my own. I need help. So I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. It's that kind of conversation. And I want to give you a chance today to have that conversation right here and now. Don't wait till next week. Right here and right now. So I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to let everyone bow their head and close their eyes. Just out of respect so nobody's singled out. There is no guilt salvation. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're ready to do that, if you want to give your life to Christ, pray the prayer with me. I'll say a line. And if that's what you want to say to God, then you say it to God. And I'll lead you through that process. So it begins like this. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I know my sin needs to be taken care of. I believe Jesus paid the price on the cross for my sin. And I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I will do my best to live by your plan from now on. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and it was from your heart, then there is only one answer that God ever gives back. He doesn't say, well, let's wait and see how it works out. He doesn't say, I'm busy today. How about tomorrow? When you pray that prayer, his answer is yes. He says, I've been waiting for this. Yes. And heaven rejoices because a sinner's sins have been forgiven. Now I want to close all of us in prayer, and then I'll let you go. And uh, we'll do more of this next week. So bring your friends. Father God, thank you so much that the gospel has always been your plan. It's your number one plan. It's your A plan, and there is no B plan. Thank you that before the creation of the world, Jesus Christ said, yes, I will die on a cross. I will become a human being and I will suffer tremendously so that these other human beings can know you. Thank you for that. Thank you that you have given us this opportunity and it's an opportunity that never goes away to accept you as our Savior, to confess our sin and receive forgiveness. And thank you that it's so easy that, that we don't get any of the credit. It all belongs to you. We simply accept it. And Father, if anyone did that this morning, if they accepted that gift, uh, just let them know that you heard them and that they have been forgiven. Let them feel it in their hearts. And Lord, encourage them to share it with someone else so that we can rejoice. It's not something we want to hear about down the road. We want to hear about it now. We want to celebrate with you. And then, Father, help us to grow. Whether we've been saved five minutes now, or we've been saved for five years, or 50 years. Help us to continue to grow in our faith, understanding who you are and what you're all about. Father, guide us through the week. Help us to serve you well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.